Welcome to Healing Hearts, Empowering Critical Care Providers. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended as a training tool for Children's Hospital and Medical Center personnel. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Complete information regarding the podcast, including its limitations on usage, is available under the episode description. Welcome. I'm Dr. Laura Ortman, and this is Healing Hearts. I'm an intensivist at Children's Hospital and Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska, and today I'm going to be discussing coarctation of the aorta, what it is, what we do about it, and what to expect when taking care of these patients in the ICU after surgery. Coarctation of the aorta refers to a discrete narrowing in the aorta, typically located past the arch in the upper thoracic aorta. Coarctation can be associated with multiple other types of heart disease, including hypoplastic aortic arch, aortic valve disease, and ventricular septal defect. The discussion in this episode will be limited to isolated coarctation that can be repaired via a lateral thoracotomy. While this may sound fairly simple, there is a wide variation in presentation and symptomatology, from a newborn with cardiac collapse to a healthy-appearing teenager with hypertension. Isolated coarctation is one of the more difficult cardiovascular lesions to diagnose by routine prenatal ultrasound. The narrowing is usually not hemodynamically significant before birth, as less blood flows through this area due to the shunting present in fetal circulation through the ductus arteriosus. So babies may initially be asymptomatic right after birth. However, when the ductus arteriosus closes, the obstruction to blood flow to the body becomes apparent. What happens next depends on the degree of narrowing. We will start with the worst case scenario, critical coarctation. We use this term to describe severe narrowing that will result in hemodynamic collapse if nothing is done. Initially, the baby will be okay as the ductus arteriosus is still open. This allows blood to shunt from the pulmonary artery to the aorta and down to the lower body. However, when this closes in the first week or two of life, the afterload to the left ventricle increases and the systemic blood flow decreases. This results in left ventricular failure, pulmonary edema, and shock. There will generally not be a difference in blood pressure between the upper and lower extremities because the cardiac output is low, so blood pressure is decreased in all extremities. If this is recognized quickly, a prostaglandin infusion can be started to reopen the ductus and improve systemic blood flow before significant end-organ damage occurs. In severe cases, extracorporeal membranous oxygenation, ECMO, may be needed for the left heart dysfunction. But the presentation of coarctation is usually not so dramatic. If the aorta is less severely narrowed, the coarctation may not be diagnosed until years later. There are a couple different ways it may be found. First is an asymptomatic murmur. The descending aorta is in the posterior thorax, so a coarctation murmur will be a systolic murmur heard best in the back. In older children, continuous murmurs may be heard throughout the chest. This is due to collateral arteries forming to bypass the area of coarctation and supply blood to the lower body. Second, the coarctation may be found during evaluation for hypertension, generally in older patients. The blood pressure will be high proximal to the coarctation, specifically in the right arm, and lower in the legs. A difference in pulses between the upper and lower extremities may be noted on exam. With questioning, the patient may complain of lower extremity pain with exercise due to decreased blood flow or headaches from upper body hypertension. Now on to repair. If the child presents with symptoms in the neonatal period, they will need repair before going home. 
In older children presenting with a murmur or hypertension, the timing of repair is more elective. In general, repair before one year of age is associated with an increased risk of recurrence of the narrowing. But we don't want to wait years, as the coarctation will lead to left ventricular hypertrophy, and the hypertension can have long-term effects on cardiovascular health. So repair in the second year of life is common. Surgery is the most common way coarctation is addressed. Balloon angioplasty and stent placement in the cardiac catheterization lab is also an option for some patients. I'm not going to go into detail about that, as those patients typically won't show up in our ICU. Now, unlike all the other surgeries that I've discussed so far in this podcast, cardiopulmonary bypass is not necessary for an isolated coarctation repair. If there is an associated arch hypoplasia or other cardiac lesions that need to be addressed, the patient may undergo a sternotomy with bypass. An isolated coarctation, however, can be repaired through the left side by going between the ribs in an approach called a lateral thoracotomy. Most commonly, the patient will have a repair called an end-to-end anastomosis. Basically, the narrowed segment is cut out and the two ends of the aorta are sewn back together. Depending on the size or location of the narrowing, patching may be necessary. So now we are in the ICU getting this patient back from the OR. In my other heart lesion episodes, we have talked about low cardiac output syndrome, arrhythmias, and pulmonary hypertension in the ICU. Given the lack of bypass and the surgical technique, the things we are looking for in the ICU after coarctation repair are completely different. Low cardiac output is a possibility that I'll touch on, but arrhythmias and pulmonary hypertension are not. Instead, we are going to discuss hypertension, bleeding, post-coarctectomy syndrome, and pain. Other less common complications are spinal cord ischemia, vocal cord dysfunction, diaphragm, pluralysis, and chylothorax. I won't be going into those today. Let's start with low cardiac output. In my last two episodes, I talked specifically about low cardiac output syndrome. This is caused by the inflammatory response to the bypass circuit. Well, our our patient did not undergo bypass. That doesn't mean they aren't at risk for low cardiac output after surgery, but the risk is much lower and generally only a problem in children with decreased heart function before surgery. Hypertension is much more likely to be a problem after repair, especially in older children. The reasons for postoperative hypertension are likely multifactorial and not entirely understood. We know that there are nerve fibers in the arteries that are involved in sensing blood pressure. Our body is designed to keep our blood pressure within an acceptable range, and these nerves are part of a feedback system. Significant preoperative hypertension may alter this feedback system and leads to the release of epinephrine and norepinephrine by the sympathetic nervous system. The renin-angiotensin system is also activated and results in increased blood pressure two to three days after repair. Treating postoperative hypertension in patients after coarctation repair is important, and your surgical team should give you guidance on what their blood pressure goals are. There are several drugs that can be used to lower blood pressure. The two most common in this situation are nitroprusside and beta blockers. Nitroprusside is given as a continuous infusion and results in vascular smooth muscle relaxation, leading to a decrease in blood pressure. The benefit of this drug is that it has a short half-life with rapid onset and offset of action. The downside is higher doses require high infusion volumes, which may be a problem if you're trying to restrict fluids in the postoperative period. With longer infusions at higher doses, there is also a risk of cyanide toxicity. Beta blockers can also be given as a continuous infusion, 
usually esmolol or labetalol. Beta blockers make sense for hypertension after coarctation repair as they block sympathetic activation, which is a potential mechanism for this hypertension. Esmolol is a selective beta blocker and has a short duration of action, making it easy to titrate. Labetalol is a combined alpha and beta blocker, so it has direct vasodilator properties. Labetalol has a longer half-life, so it cannot be titrated as quickly. Oral beta blockers are also available once the patient is able to take feeds. Next, postoperative bleeding, which is a common problem, particularly in older children. I mentioned murmurs from collateral circulation when I was talking about physical exam. Collaterals are blood vessels that form around the site of obstruction. Collaterals aren't new blood vessels that develop, but vessels that already exist that dilate to pass blood from the upper body to the lower. These can include intercostal vessels in the chest wall that can be disrupted during, during surgery. So watch your chest tube output carefully. Post-coarctectomy syndrome is something unique to coarctation repairs. This occurs two to three days after surgery in older children, especially those with a tight coarctation. We don't really see it in neonates. The primary symptom is abdominal pain, possibly accompanied by fever, vomiting, bloody stools, and a high white count. Bowel ischemia and abdominal emergency is possible. The exact etiology of this is unknown, but appears to be related to the sudden increase in blood pressure to the mesenteric arteries after repair, leading to a necrotizing arteritis. Prevention measures include tight blood pressure control and slow introduction of feeds after surgery. Postoperative ileus is not uncommon after any surgery, but be careful of dismissing your patient with a bellyache after coarctation repair, as it could be something far more sinister. Lastly, I wanted to make a quick mention of pain. Of course, pain control is important after every surgery. What you need to know is that thoracotomies are actually more painful than sternotomies, so patients may require more medication after coarctation repair. Sternotomy incisions don't move much with breathing, but ribs and thus thoracotomies do. These patients are at risk for splinting and developing atelectasis and respiratory complications. And pain can make our blood pressure management even harder. Your older patients may come out of the OR with an epidural because of this. So remember good pain control and incentive spirometry. So even though this patient did not undergo bypass, there's still a lot to think about. Next month, I'll be talking about total anomalous pulmonary venous return, abbreviated TAPVR. I'll see you then. For more information about Children's Hospital and Medical Center, visit childrensomaha.org. Thanks for listening to Healing Hearts, empowering critical care providers.